You're listening to episode 129 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Emilio Sanchez. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Iranshad, a former Division I college tennis player. And on the show, I interview the world's top pros, coaches, and experts to help you improve your tennis game. And today I have a fun interview with Emilio Sanchez. And Emilio is a former professional tennis player from Spain. He is the co-founder of the Sanchez Casal Academy, otherwise known as the Academia Sanchez Casal. I hope that I had a pretty decent accent there. And Emilio has accomplished a ton in the tennis world. He achieved a career-high ranking of number seven in the world in singles, and he was also the number one doubles player in the world. He, Along with that, he's won three Grand Slam doubles titles. He's won the silver medal at the 1988 Olympic Games in men's doubles, and he's won and amassed 15 singles titles and 50 doubles titles along the way, which is incredible. He also captained Spain's Davis Cup team to a championship in 2008 in addition to playing for them as well. And he's made over $5 million in prize money. And it was really a great conversation uh, for me, and I think it'll really illuminate a lot of great points for you. Uh, We talked about a lot of really helpful aspects of tennis, including his philosophy behind optimal match strategies, how to become a more aggressive player and why that is really important to your long-term development. Also, many points on how to become a better returner, which is super important because you need to break, obviously, at some point in order to win the match unless you love playing tie breaks. (laughs) Uh, Also, we talked about how Emilio reached the top 10 in the world in both singles and doubles, as I mentioned, being number one in doubles. And Uh, What it was like to both play Davis Cup and Captain Spain to a championship in Davis Cup and a lot more as well. Uh, His morning routine also and uh, some tips for on how to become more disciplined, which is super important as well to being successful in the tennis world. So I really do hope that you enjoy this interview and many thanks again to Emilio and his team for making this interview happen. And uh, I want to bring it to you right now. So without further ado, here is my interview with Emilio Sanchez. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. It's really a pleasure and honor to have Emilio Sanchez on the podcast. He has had a very illustrious career, former professional tennis player from Spain, career high of number seven in the world in singles and number one doubles player in the world as well. And he's now coaching uh, at an academy that he uh, founded and he's doing a great job over there. So, Emilio, first of all, I want to really thank you for coming onto the podcast and, and giving us your time. No, thanks to you for thinking of me. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, uh, I, I went on YouTube and watched a lot of your matches, uh, really some, some great matches that you've had uh, over the years. Uh, I want to ask you, you know, first off, growing up, you, you have an incredible uh, family history. I mean, obviously, uh, your sister, Arancha, she, she had so many great matches like you. And then you have your brother, Javier, who played uh, professionally as well. So I was wondering between you, your sister and your brother, which one of you kind of took the lead as far as like who looked up to who? <laughs> well, um, I am uh, the second one in the family. My older sister, Marisa, she she was a great player in Spain. But um, in the at the time, the women's tennis in Spain was not so uh, developed and um, so she decided to go to the um, to the college uh, in the US so she went and studied at Pepperdine and she had a, a great college career there and and then uh, I was the second one so I was the one opening the doors I, I suppose for my other two brothers for Javier who is three years younger than me and Arancha which is uh, seven years younger so I was kind of like the first one opening, even if Javier was 
uh, number one junior in the world. He won Wimbledon, so he's, he he was really looking like a like a um, top top possible uh, player, and uh, and that, that later on he become and. And, and then we had my sister, which my sister was uh, my little sister. And but uh, when she decided at 17, which is uh, I was almost 24, so I already was at the top 10. I was very famous, so she was known as my sister. But she decided to win the French Open in 1989, mm-hmm. and then suddenly, from one day to the other, I became her brother. <laughs> <laughs> so she. She was number one in singles and in doubles, and um, so she was the one that having the best results from all, and um, and the the biggest champion from from the four siblings. Great stuff, Emilio. And so, how how were you able to to motivate? I mean, each other. Was it something where you saw something that Arancha was doing, and then you tried to one up her, and then maybe she saw your accomplishment and tried to one up you? Like, how was that relationship as far as the competitiveness? Well, with with um. With my brother, it was more more um, rivalry. So, so like because three years is not so much. So I was already in the top twenty in the world when he started to play on the tour, and uh, and suddenly he went very fast and he started to play as well. So we had a lot of matchups, which was always uncomfortable, more for him than for me because I was older and and. Um, and uh, for him, well, he struggled a bit, um, the older brother, and um, helping him, and so and so. So, so for him, it was a bit more difficult until at the latest stage of the career that he started to beat me also. So, so um, it was it was a bit difficult with with Arancha. It was it was kind of like a like a mirror thing more than a rivalry, because for her. Um, I was always a reference, and uh, I was helping a bit with the coaching and. And I, I think it was more like kind of like support, and and then suddenly she started to do really well. But she was she always had this this um, this thing, disrespect for 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 whatever I was telling her, and and so we always had. Uh, fairly good relationship. That's wonderful. That's mm. wonderful, Emilio. And and so you talk about uh, you talked about playing Javier. I mean, you know, several times. I think it was twelve times that you played him on the tour. Uh, so I was wondering. You said it was obviously uncomfortable. Uh, how were you able to, if you were able to, kind of when you played Javier to just put away the fact that he was your your brother and just kind of play the match. Well, it's not easy, you know. You play your brother, and and um, it's tougher. It's tough because uh, yeah, you don't want to have that killer instinct that you have with other players, and uh, but you still wanna win, and you still wanna you have your rivalry and and things. So it's be, it becomes a bit more emotional and uh, and a bit more demanding um, on that on that mental side, no. And uh, <clears throat> it's more difficult to to be free and and do your right your right game and, and your things, but because there are other things around. But um, you know you learn from it and and uh, you try to to take the best. And at the end, we are tennis players and and it's a tennis match, you know. So what is important is that that. Um, there are much more stronger things than than winning a tennis match. Exactly, Emilio. Just trying to improve every time, figuring out what you did well, what you didn't do well, and then work on that in practice court for sure. And uh, so I was wondering, Emilio, to kind of step back and into the beginning parts of your life. At what point in your life did you actually uh, feel that you wanted to become a professional tennis player? Well, actually, it was it was very special because. Uh, I didn't have much, much, much option. At some moment, I was not doing so well, and they, they, I was not growing. So I was 16 years old, and I was not growing. And um, but suddenly, one summer, I grow and I start to beat people that I have never beat before. And and uh, from the summer when I was turning 16 until the summer I was turning 18, in uh, in only two years, my tennis went from nowhere to start to to do well. And my transition from from um, junior to to professional it was super fast because I played a couple satellites that they used to play at the time, and then I played a couple uh, of these big events for, at the time was the Grand Prix, and I qualify and I make the semis and I win enough points to make the next tournament a special exam, 
So almost in, in the first semester of the year, I was 16 in the world and I got in, in the French Open. So I, I almost had um, no choice because I, I didn't have time to doubt what to do or not to do. You know, like I, my, I, I rocket to the top 100 and then once you are there, obviously you become like kind of like a pro. So, so it was not, it, it was not, not, not an option. So I was very lucky. I didn't have to play almost any qualies. And uh, today is that's impossible. Today, ten in today in nowadays, you really need to to be there for three four years before you even even if you are super gifted junior. Normally, it takes so much longer to arrive up there. Yeah, for sure, Emilio. And I kind of want to dissect a little bit. At least you talk about from sixteen to eighteen, you started beating people that you didn't before, and you did talk about a growth spurt. But I mean, was it just the growth spurt or was it what was it in your game that that maybe you changed or something that happened maybe mentally that allowed you to just all of a sudden, you know, rocket up to the rankings? Well, I, I think that that the fundamentals are there, depending on, on, on what you what what is your your background and with who you learn and, and what they did taught you. So so I suppose that I had good, good, um, good fundamentals or good technique. And tactic, I start to order it better. So the, the tactic, I start to know what to do in the matches better as uh, as I as you mature. So those two pillars, they they go very much together, the technical and the tactical. Uh, but the, without the physical, uh, there is no mental. So so the physical pillar, when I grow and I become strong, allow me to have the quality and the intensity and the passion because I started to love something that that before when I was losing and so I didn't love to, to, to no one likes to to lose and no one likes to be there practicing and losing because it's no it's no fun so what is fun is to compete and win <laughs> if you if you <laughs> if you compete and lose is no it's no good business for anybody so um, when I put together this physical pillar and then the mental pillar start to become stronger and then you can work your tactics and, and you can use your, 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 your tools, your technique much easier. And, 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 and that helped me, helped me a lot to challenge, to challenge um, the rest of the people and to go much faster on the, on the rankings. Great stuff, Emilio. And when you talk about the strategy, that's obviously one big piece of, of, of the whole puzzle. How how did you approach learning the strategy? I mean, did you study it or was it just a matter of your coach said, okay, we're going to do this strategy and then it, you, you just absorbed it in your brain and then it became automatic? Or how, what was your process for learning strategy? Well, no, the, the, the key for me is that there is something that allows you to compete that there is there is something that you do really well. So there is has to be or the serve or, or, or the serve and volley or the forehand or Normally, the, the serve and the forehand are almost a must for everybody today. So everybody has to have a serve and a forehand. So, but um, how you how you do the forehand? You do it cross court, inside out. You do uh, top spin, flat, uh, inside the court, outside. So there is many many variables on every one of the shots. That uh, is what is going to give you the chances to be able to 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 be competitive and to and to win those matches. No, so I always say that. That you have some some gifts, some tools that 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 they're gonna give you the matches, and then the other tools you have to compensate them. They are not as good, but they they cannot be super weak. They they have to be almost at the same level. That you you you, you cannot have something that the opponent finds that um, that uh, damages your, your 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 equation. So so it's very important to compensate the weaknesses and to use a lot the strengths. And that that if you see the, the great players yesterday, Djokovic was playing and Shapovalov was playing amazing. Mm -hmm. But at the end, what Djokovic came out with the win because he was at the end he was doing what he does well: the returns, the playing deep, the moving the opponent. So that's how he ended up winning a match that he had lost. No, so that I think that's that's really really important. And and the tennis players become experts of 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 um, excelling with their strengths. And uh, and um, and uh, not having very strong weaknesses. Right, great. And you have to be very, very complete player mm. for sure, especially in the pro game. So Emilio, I mean, you talk about obviously trying to play your strengths as much as possible in the points, and then you know maybe your your weaknesses at least improving them so that they're they're not being destroyed by your opponent. But can you kind of talk about like maybe an example or how to set up the points so that you can actually 
like utilize your strengths more and then like minimize your weaknesses? Sure. Well, to the, in today tennis at, at, at super high levels, um, the the boys normally they in the top hundred they winning over seventy percent of serves. So so the the, the the ones that they say if normal they win seventy five or something. Uh, the the general population they win more than eighty percent of the serves. And the super servers like Isner or, or Karlovich or Federer, they win over 90% of serves. But a guy like Nadal wins 90% of his serves. So that means that 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 the serve becomes so important because it's how you initiate the game. And then there is the next couple, three shots that they are so in, so key to be able to keep the initiative. So, so the serve gives you the initiative. And if you are capable with your strength, so you have good forehands to, to use it after the serve, you're gonna increase the amount of of um, of um, serve games that you're gonna win. So if you increase the number of serves, and then you are more in the safe area because if you win 90% of serves, uh, if you are a good returner and break a lot of serves, and then and then you are gonna be in pretty good shape. If you don't break so much, and then you have a problem. <laughs> it's like Karlovic serves very well, but breaks very little. So his matches are always very level. So there, if if he loses loses one game of his serve and then he almost is almost for sure that he's going to lose the the set no but um the best players are always the ones that they manage to take away the initiative from the server so you have uh, uh, the best returner in the world everybody says is Djokovic today no but the one who makes more breaks is Nadal mm. so maybe Djokovic has better re- first return but Nadal has a uh, the follow-up after the return is better because he he breaks about 35% of games. So imagine Nadal, every every three games that you serve, he's going to break you one. How safe he is with his serve? So he's very comfortable. But because he wins 90%, so that's why he's so strong. Because on top of winning his serve, he's very strong in, 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 in breaking serves. Mm-hmm. The second one in breaking serves is normally Djokovic. And, and for example, who... who Plays a bit more on the on the edge is Federer because he, Federer breaks about 25%. So when they match up together, so if Nadal breaks 35 and Djokovic and, and Federer breaks 25, so 10% at that level is a lot. And the serve yeah. is almost the same, even if if Federer maybe is 92, 93% of win serve and Nadal 90%. So there is the matchup between 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 the two. So at the end, if you are able to to take away the initiative and use your strengths with the self of the other one. And then that's when you're going to have very good chances of breaking. Great stuff, Emilio. And and so let's say maybe step in the amateur shoes. I know you work with a lot of high-level players, but what are maybe some basic like return strategies or tips that can help us increase our, our chances of uh, breaking our opponents? Well, a- any level is the same. The only thing is that at amateur level, you're going to go down and with the let's say a club player who wins 60% of serves is, is going to be very strong, very strong player. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but true. because the other one is also going to be lower than that. So, so that means that if he's lower than that, that you're going to make a lot of breaks. So at the end is, is, is always a, a equation of the points that you manage to win with the mistakes of, of the other one. So if you are returning at club level, my advice will be always to find a, a return that is very safe but it has a lot of length, okay? So so in, in club level, you tend to play a lot of balls in the middle of the court. What I will try to find is to see if you have kind of a return that you can play a bit deeper. And if you play a bit deeper, the other one is gonna have to go more far. So that means that then you're gonna be able to step in. And then you're gonna be kind of like dancing. If you are able to return deep, you have a big chance that, that to be able to play with your strengths after, whatever are. You know, like if it's the, the slice or the forehand or whatever it is. And so the, um, and, and, uh, that's really important. To be able to return deep, it's very important to see the, the, the line of the ball of the serve and the height of the ball and the speed. So you can, uh, many times at club level, the problem that they have is that they try to make the same shot independently of the speed of the ball and the height of the ball that they, they're going to hit it. And then suddenly I say, why this ball is goes to the fence and the other one goes to the net? It's because you are not watching well the ball of the opponent. And that anticipation is don't start with the opponent. It starts with your own shot. 
if you play deep, there is a big chance that the shot from the opponent is going to be short. And then you are going to be more mm -hmm. comfortable. It, it can be long also. It can be deep as well. But but there is a lot of chances that is not deep. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the best basic strategies is, is hitting the deep ball and yielding the short ball. Um, but And that reminds me, Emilia, I saw a, a video, maybe 45 minutes long or so, of a presentation you gave. And I know there was a part of it where you had two juniors playing, or actually most of it. And then I think you were criticizing one of the juniors because they... They weren't moving forward, you know, when they had like a short ball, the footwork wasn't there. They're just waiting there with the open stance for the ball. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, that's basically the, the next shot if you hit a good return. Uh, can you talk about some keys to the, the footwork and, and the importance of moving forward on these shots instead of just waiting? Well, the, that's one of the things today that the, the, the pro players play so fast and so deep that uh, they have very few chances to move to the ball because they play at super high level. So they, they're gonna play very, very few short balls. Okay, so, but, but they're gonna do it. So the, the thing that the people don't see is that because if, I don't know, whoever they like, Shapopalov or Djokovic or, or Tim or whatever, they play so many times back and waiting for the ball, it's not because they want to wait, it's because of the length of the ball of the opponent. So at the moment that the opponent leaves a short ball, they're going to move to the ball because they want to beat the ball. So, but when you don't train properly and you always waiting for the ball when there is a short ball and then you, you almost don't arrive to the ball. And that it goes with the very fast surfaces or with this um, training at super high uh, speeds, you know. So and and that's one of the reasons why the players um, have difficulties in moving towards the ball. Okay? When they start to improve that, and then they become um, way much better, much better players. And um, it's, it's something like maybe today uh, more you cannot move towards the ball more than fifteen percent or twenty percent of the time, okay? because the, most of the balls you're gonna have to wait for the ball and or, away, or go away from the ball. But since there is big results only waiting for the ball and playing waiting for the ball, no one has the need to go to the ball. So that's why many people today uh, are not capable of arriving to volley eh, because they, they don't see that opportunity, that 15% of opportunities, they don't see it and they don't walk to the ball. And then the net is much far away, so they cannot volley. Instead, the, who are the best players in the world? Are the ones who walk better to the ball. They're the ones that inside the court, they open better the court. They have, they are more initiative and they open better the court. And are those players which, 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 which are capable of playing very well waiting for the ball and the, stepping on the back foot and, or, or, or even on the front, uh, front waiting? But when the ball is short, they open the court and they step in and they, and they arrive to the net. And if you take Nadal now, if you take Federer, if you take the best players are the ones that they step better and they push more the opponent because they want to have the control of the center of the court. And then that's, I think, one of the, of the lacks that we have in the tennis today. In our time, we, we could walk to the ball more because they, 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 we were not playing so deep as today. But you have to adapt to the times and, and uh, try to find the, the best possible player that you are. You know, you, you try to step into the ball. For sure, Emilio. And like, I mean, how do you like to train that? I mean, is it more like feeding short balls and, and just instructing the player? Or like, what's your approach to getting mentally and also strategically the player to get to do this more? Well, uh, the thing is that the player has to be convinced that every opportunity that he has to take the, more, the ball more inside the court, they have to try to do it and and uh, and just stepping more towards the ball and um, it has to be like like a commitment eh? you still can play not doing so and you can still win not doing so but you're going to become much better player because what we want is that uh, when i wanted as a player was to become the best player I, I was able to become and what i want today as a coach is that my my students have the maximum tools that they can have to be able to compete better. So, but if they never enter the court, they will never volley. And if they never volley, they never develop that part of the game. So that's something that is, is a requirement. It, 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 it takes work, it takes commitment, effort from the player, 
because it's easier waiting and hitting the ball and destroying the ball. But I think that that's a kind of player that is not building the game. I, 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 I like the players that they build the game. And the transition that Nadal has done in the last two, three years is because before with the, with, he was waiting for the forehand so far and playing from so far, when they start to open the court from him, he realizes that he had no chance. So he had to make this incredible transition of instead of waiting for the ball from the back foot, now he's stepping on the front foot and he's much more aggressive and he arrives more to volley and he's playing much better inside the court. Shapovalov is doing the same. Before, he was waiting, turning every shot with the open stand and so, and he was not doing nothing. Now that he's stepping on the ball, yesterday he, he didn't win because he, he the other one was was very fortunate, but he played better in some in, in some parts of the match. He played much better than Djokovic. So this year, Shapovalov, if he continues this way, has a big chance to do much more damage than before because because he's now stepping much better inside the court. Great stuff again, Emilio. And, and you know, speaking about the footwork aspect, so in order to become a more aggressive player, would you say that we actually have to maybe like do less open stances and then look look to step in more? Is that kind of what we should be thinking about with the footwork change? For me, totally. For me, totally. People say, no, if you step... Uh, to the ball is um, all tennis, or is the, how they played before? But no, for me, is 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 a way that you generate the time to be able to step on the ball and beat the ball. So it's it's much more aggressive, and and uh, <clears throat> and, and the concept of the open stand is to play with the is to is 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 to make the shot with the outside foot. You know, the concept of the stepping to the ball, using also the back foot to be able to transfer the weight. So you're using the back foot the same as in the open stand. The only thing is that you're using all your body. So so it's 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 something that that the people okay. Sometimes I'm gonna have to go open stand because I want to have more reach to the ball to be able to try to do something similar if I was stepping on the ball. But it's not gonna be possible because with a circular um, rotation, you are never gonna generate the same amount of power as with the lineal with the lineal um, transfer of weight. So, so uh, yeah, the, the power that you have to generate here and the open stand far away from the body and the rotation that you have to have compared and, and the speed of the racket that you have to put is so much more effort and you will go away from the area than when you step on the ball and you just let the racket, the inertia of the racket do the shot and, and, and open the court. So it's, it's um, if you really see the matches and count the point well, uh, why we are able to play the one plus one or the one plus one plus one, and and most of the points are are finishing three or four shots, because thanks to the serve you are able to step on the ball and open the court, uh, and 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 that's that's um, a key a, a key way of going and to opening the court. If you prefer to serve and then make the open stand and also win the point because you have the time, is 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 limiting you as a player. It's limiting you because you're gonna still have are able to make a winner, but you are not gonna be able to follow if the other one sees the ball to close in the net. You are not gonna be able to do it three or four times in a row. You just have to what I call destroy the game. Just go for the winner, and that way of playing. Uh, it can be good for a while, but most of the people who play like that, at some moment when they start to lose some matches, they don't know. They don't have nothing else. They only have that. And when that doesn't work, and then you are you are a, yeah, you you become more um, player without the confidence, and then it's very difficult to play that way. If you learn to play, you can play at that speed. You can play at much slower speed and still have the initiative. So be uh, still be a better player, and uh, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. and that gives you many more tools. Yeah, a lot more tools, and this is something that I wish I did earlier in my uh, game. You know, I was always the kind of person who's counter punching, just grinding from the back of the court, and so it's been, you know, kind of tougher for me to mentally shift to be more aggressive. But I mean, this is great advice, obviously, but also for those of us who are aging too. You know, we can't just from the back court all the time. Transition, go up. You are a counterpuncher, that means that you have a good eye and good. you see well the line of the ball. So, But if you will see better where are you playing your balls to win time and do what you're doing far from the line, do it more closer to the line, 
And then in some moments, the other one is going to be short. So those moments you're going to convert to, to aggressive uh, and, 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 and uh, dictating moments for your game instead of always having to counterpunch, okay, which is an incredible tool because you, you had Andy Murray and, and, and Hewitt, which are unbelievable counterpunches because they go, they go so well behind the ball. But if you are able to combine that, like with Andy, the years that he played the best, uh, he was with with Lendl. He was counterpunching, but he was stepping to the ball and taking the ball high and, and arriving to the net. Mm-hmm. Some other years, he only played counterpunching, and he making much more effort. But he was not as as aggressive and not as 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 better outcome. So so if you follow better what is your game and how much length, you're gonna have more time for the next shot. But we, yeah. you understand that the, the mentality today is, is is to play the shot, not to play the shot, to play the next shot. You understand? So if, if I go open stand, I destroy the ball, I just go for the winner, I'm not thinking in the next yeah. shot. Right. Where is the opponent? Just, right. I am just right. thinking in finishing, whatever it is, out or in. What I am asking you is to play that shot, to play it deep enough that the other one has to go away, mm-hmm. leave the short ball for you to start playing. And to play whatever shot you want to play. I feel like you're a good chess player, Emilio. Do you play chess? <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I did my career and I, I didn't have um, big weapons. I serve well. I have good forehand, but, but you know, like I play in the time that we had. My prior generation was Mark and Lendl, uh, Gomez, all these top guys, and my generation was with Bielander, Becker, Edberg, uh, Muster, and all these guys, and they. Generation after was Agassi, Sampras, Curie. So three generations playing at the same time was like 15 players without counting Mechir, Cash, and uh, all these other like players at my level. So so it was all the games completely different. So with very little game, I had to challenge those guys and 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 play at the same level as them. So I needed to do those different situations to be able to, to play with them because I didn't have like a like a big serve like Boris or like big forehand like Lendl that every time they, they touch the ball they, they make these super big big points you know so yeah I, I really had to work the short ball with a deep ball and then the ball you know like play the game and um and that's the what the, the the way I like the tennis because that's the way I grow it is like I was playing with 15 guys in the top the top 15 that they all play different. So you had to also to adapt your your system and your way to 15 different players. Today, many players play very similar. And the only ones that they are a bit different are Federer and Nadal and, and, and Djokovic. The rest, they play very similar game. So so I think that the differences and the different games are very good for the for our sport. For sure. And, and if the people will develop more things, they will have more different games. But, but the people... They just stick to a, what it works, and 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 they have big capabilities of improving. So when a player like Shapovalo, in 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 some months, improves so much, it becomes that he's working properly, and and he's gonna. Yesterday arrived to volley a lot with Djokovic, which before he was not arriving. So now now he's building the game. So now he can start to do a lot of a lot of more things. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, for sure, Emilio. And I'm curious, you know, I, I talked to Taylor Dent last week and he obviously was a big servant volleyer type of player. I mean, in your in your opinion, do you think a servant volleyer could be still successful in the in the game today on the men's side? Well, he, he, he could. He could do he could still 
work um, properly. But but um, normally the serve and volleyers um, also they try to not play so much from the back. You know, like like. But um, you have some players like like uh, that at some moment, for example, um, Federer when he. He started to work with Edberg. He started to go much more to serve and volley. And still today, in his game, he he goes more to the net than than at some stage of his career. You know. So if you serve well and volley well, you still ha- can 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 do it. The thing is that it's going to be more demanding because the returns are really good, and they are really fast. So so you you have to adapt to the situation where you serve very well, but you have you have time to arrive to the net. Normally in the second serves today is much more difficult. Like before, you could will serve, serve and volley both serves. Today's the second serve are very difficult to volley. Mm-hmm. So Emilio, you're talking about commitment. You mentioned that a couple of times, and so I, I found it very interesting. I watched a video about you, which is like the day in the life of Emilio Sanchez, and you mentioned that you you woke up, you know, in the morning like before six o'clock, uh, but you hated to wake up in the morning. So I was wondering, uh, you know, assuming that's accurate. I mean, you said it, so I guess it's accurate. But how are you able to eventually, like, get used to waking up at 6 a.m.? Because uh, this is very important. I read a lot about morning routines and how that's important in building a great life. So how are you able to do that even though you hated doing it? Well, when you compete, I'm one, I was one of type of player that, that always needed um, hours to, to, to rest. The recovery is very important. So I get used to create the habit of sleeping long yeah. and because you want, to, you want to perform. And I had the kind of game that I needed my, my wheels to, to be able to do well. So I needed to be rested and, and well. So, but then um, um, you, the, the real change comes in, not only because of the work, but the real change comes in when you have kids, when you have kids, you know, the, I, I remember when my, my first kid was born, I remember that, that year I was still, um, I think I was coaching my sister and we were in Wimbledon and in Wimbledon there is always the middle Sunday, no one plays. So uh, it's close to Wimbledon and, and, and it's, a, it's a holiday. So you say, okay, so tomorrow uh, is a holiday. You don't have to train. You don't have to, you, you, maybe you go to the park, you walk a bit, you run, you jog, you prepare for the next day. So, but then, then I, 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 I remember that it's a Sunday and then at six in the morning, the kid starts to cry. Yeah. <laughs> there is no, there is no Sunday for these kids. There is no holiday, <laughs> you know? So, so uh, that's when you really start to get used to. To, to to wake up really 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 early you know but apart from this story that that, that is that is real I think that that the, the 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 learning process of commitment it comes from the tennis itself for me the tennis has been an incredible tool because it's, uh, tennis is a is, is a science of of, of habits. So, so to hit well the forehand uh, inside or outside or so, you need to hit it so many times or to hit defense forehand or offense forehand. So why we are not able today to walk so much to the ball? Because we don't, we don't repeat it so much as before. If we will repeat it, we will do it well, like, like, like the players before were doing it. So, but we focus so much on, on, on the defense forehand that, that we forget about the offense forehand. So. The same is on the on the day to days and your organizational skills. So 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 if if um, I have organization and and I'm supposed to to have here we start the practice at seven in the morning and I have fifteen coaches and and whatever number of fifty students and and, and I'm not there. I think is 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 I'm not be, I'm not the mirror anymore. So I think that that is when you decide to do something, you have to try to do it like when you play a match. When you play a match, you give your best all the time. So so I try to do this in my life, in whatever I do, I try to play the match as a tennis match because tennis has taught me everything. And and uh, I cannot play, I cannot do this interview and not trying to tell whatever I have inside because then I'm not playing a match with you, you know? So, so the, the, everything is like that. So. If you really care about the situations and about the things, you it's very important uh, the, the the discipline that you put to the things, and, and 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 the effort that you put to the things, and the attention and 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 the and the commitment. And um, if at the moment that that you are not there, at the moment that you are not putting your hundred percent, you start to lose the match. Mm. 
mm-hmm. whatever it is that much, you know, that is important for you. That's right, Emilio. But were you always a disciplined person? I mean, did that just develop from like your team around you and coaches that that said, "Hey, you must do this in order to be successful"? Like, how how did that actually develop in inside of you? Yeah, well, in my house, I think my mom was the most disciplined, or is still the most disciplined person I I ever see. Like the other day, she went to the doctor and they told him you have to do these exercises. She will not forget one day of the exercises. So she's like super disciplined. She comes from a, the, her family, her parent, her father was from the army. So the, very structured. Mm-hmm. So and I think that was very important for us to, to develop as players because because that gave us the the order and the and the capabilities of, of 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 moving forward. So that that first stage was very important. My mom is super disciplined. Then um, the coach that that um, I had all my career was super disciplined. Also, we always had to do the things and and arrive on time and do the pre pre match and after match and they go clean the game after the match and and do the right things. And I remember, like when I was playing, if one night I will do, do no good or, or 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 I will go out the next morning, I'm there. Doesn't matter how many hours I sleep. So, so that I developed through 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 the career as a player. And um, after that, if, if in some moments I miss, for whatever reason, the people around me always always um, was also very disciplined. And and uh, some of my coaches here are so 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 focused and so disciplined with the, what they do. That um, when I when I if I have have some moments so some doubts about it, they remind me about what, how important it is. And uh, my people, they are super super disciplined, and and, and uh, for me they are, are role models that I follow in in the occasions that I am not capable of doing it myself. Mm, yeah, that's really smart of you to surround yourself with such great people uh, to you know keep you accountable and help you. So great job with that. And so you did something, mm-hmm. Emilio, that's pr- practically unheard of, which is you got to number one in the world in doubles uh, in April of 1989, and then number seven in the world in April 1990. So I mean, I, I don't think there's really any pros that I can remember recently that have accomplished this. So how were you able to to be at an elite level at both singles and doubles, mm-hmm. like at nearly the same time? <laughs> well, so it must have been tiring, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, at that moment, anyway, I was coming from a from a moment where um, almost everybody was playing the singles and the doubles. So starting with Mark and Rose and um, Bill and Nistrom and Forge Noah and everybody in the, at the time we were we were playing singles, singles and doubles, uh, um, and and it was it was. Sivojino is Ivanisevich and and um, uh, Edward Jarry. So so they were really incredible couples that they play both, and uh, and um, and I think was was really good for 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 the game because because it created a lot of attention and and uh, the only thing is that that um, as the as the athlete uh, improve on the tennis world. So, so the athlete, what it does is, is, is maximizes the performance. Mm-hmm. So, and what happens is that when you go to play a tournament and, uh, everything is centered towards the singles. <coughs> so, um, when you play singles and doubles, normally the doubles, they're going to take away some energy for the athlete to perform in singles. So, so if you play like, let's say, first and third match, so first, let's say, 12 o'clock and then 5 o'clock, you still have time to dinner and to recover. But if you play second and fourth, and then you already, the dinner, you already maybe don't get it, don't arrive on time. But if you play third match, starting at 12, and then fifth match, you're going to have to adapt to the situation, and your dinner is gone, and you're probably going to go late to, to bed. And so the next day you have to play first, first and third, and then you have a problem yeah. because you don't have time to recover to 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 give your best, and that's that that normally that's why the the physical demands become so high that the people had to decide to choose not to play doubles to be able to perform better in singles, to be more rested, 
to be focused only on one thing. And that's the pity because I think the double, the double to me, it developed me as a player in a way that make me much better single player. Right. I make my efforts, but 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 um, I I I was way much better much better player. I remember one year in Kitzbühel that it rained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We started the tournament on Friday morning, so I played two singles and one double on Friday. <laughs> Saturday I played two singles and one double, and Sunday I played the final best of five. And then two doubles, and I won the singles on the doubles in three days, <laughs> nine months. My God! So, so I was destroyed for a month after that. But, but you know, like like when you play continuously singles and doubles, you also develop these skills and this way of doing that you become better physically as well. So, so you could last longer and play more and more. So, it's it's, it's the body takes uh, uh, accepts everything from from. If you train it well, it can it can have incredible results, mm -hmm. and I think that's an incredible result because because um, we you 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 are able to do things that you never expect, but because you train it to do it, and so if you do that one time without doing it normally, and then it, the, the body breaks, but when the body is used to do it, and then if you run a five k, uh, uh, if you train the body, you can run a ten k. If you give the rest and train it again, you can run a 20K and then a 40K. And then look at these guys, they're running a 100K because they can run three 40Ks in, 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 in one week. Mm -hmm. So, so they, they become superpower people, you know, because they train the body to be able to, to, to be adapt to that. That's right, Emilio. And, and so with, with doubles, I mean, are you happy with the current you know, format and like, because uh, I know that they've shortened it a bit over the years. So, and probably with the concerns that you laid out, although I guess they haven't, still haven't gotten as many top players that you from singles as you'd want, but uh, into doubles. But are you okay with the format? Is there anything you would change with it? Well, it's it's, it's becoming um, it's becoming um, more level and level. So so. It's 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 um, shortened matches and and uh, and um, it becomes more difficult f even for the good players to make a difference because they have less games to do it, you know. So so it's 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 something that that they decided. I don't think if if if, if they if I was asked about what was the solution, I think that is uh, the solution is 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 uh, on the programming. Because because of the uh, and the number of matches, so so and 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 what is important or what is not important for the tournament. So if they only going to show the TV, the, the singles, the doubles is not so much um, important. So they can reduce the amount of games. That's what they're doing. But for me, if if they will give more importance also to doubles, they they will have to have, give the time to the people to be able to recover. So maybe make smaller draws and then maybe make smaller draws for or, or combined draws. I don't know. They, they will have to find a format where the person can have time to recover and doesn't have a disadvantage compared to that one that, that don't play. Because if not, it's, 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 it goes, it's not fair. You know? So, and, uh, and it's been going that way all the time. So, but the tournaments normally they don't like so much. They don't show so much doubles, and uh, and the good players they don't play them because it's it's very draining physically and and mentally. Because as the same as I tell you before, when you have to reload the tank to play a doubles, and so you you start in the morning, you you have the the tank full, you play your singles, you you empty your tank, you reload it again, go to play doubles, you empty it again, and then. You have to reload it for the next day. So, but it's a big disadvantage to have to to empty the tank two times instead of one a day. So that's the big problem. Yeah. 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 I wonder if they could maybe have like doubles only tournaments. That would be interesting. But yeah, yeah that could yeah. be an option. And and uh, they they now, for example, when they did the labor cup, doubles become very important and much yeah. fun because they make yeah. it the part of the of the competition that is the most important. Or in Davis Cup, when you play singles and then doubles, and then in another day, and then the players can play it. But even in in Davis Cup, because until now, because before was 
best of five, best of five, best of five, the body don't have time to recover because the body is used to play best of five, one day free, best of five. So, so it, it, the, the doubles in between becomes a big physical challenge if you have to play the third day another big singles. Yeah, for sure, Emilio. Uh, you because no, no more Davis. <laughs> I know, I know, that's true. Well, I don't know what to say about that, but uh, Emilio, you know, obviously you you played Davis Cup and you you captain Davis Cup. You won a championship in two thousand eight, which is incredible. How different was it for you, uh, you know, coaching versus playing? Well, um, coaching is very dif- very different from from, More stressful. from playing. <laughs> Well, no, I, I I like I like playing because there is nothing like playing because whatever you work, you 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 have the outcome and and there is not nothing more grateful than that, you know. And and coaching is a, coaching in normal coaching uh, in tennis, I think is very very unfair because tennis is the only sport who don't allow coaching. The only place that they allow a bit of coaching is Davis Cup. Because you can be on the court, so so the experience of the Davis Cup for me was amazing because I was able to share on the court the moments and and I, I was an amazing experience to be able to contribute to this victory with them being with them there and deciding who play who don't play and all these things. Um, coaching, I think now they starting to find ways that to communicate and and to do a bit better. Uh, I think they should improve more because because. Um, I think if if the people will be coached, um, I think the tennis will be better. And, and if, so, like on the women's side, you'd like to coach uh, during the matches? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I, will, I will always allow the players not only one time a set. I, I will allow them to coach because the tennis will improve because because the player will do better and the coaching will improve also because because uh, people will will be there and 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 and, and improve. When Federer and Nadal were coaching there in Davis Cup, it was an amazing thing, and and and, yeah. and 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 you see the mindset, and you learn on the mental pillar, you men, you learn on the physical, you learn on the tactical, you learn even on the technical. When the not play slice or slow the game, blah blah blah. So and and the people need to hear that, you know. But the the the, the profession for the coach is very easy. No, no, it's better not coach. Yeah, but the, then what you do? No, you let the player do the thing. I say I'm coaching him to let him do the thing. Yeah, but but they need to play better. We're losing public, we're losing people, so we, the, we need to make this this sport better players. And 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 the coaching it can be part of that. I think I think it's, it's very interesting that the people coaches. Yeah, for sure, Milo. And I know we're, uh, you know, going pretty long, I guess. Uh, and I know that you have to go soon, but um, just just let me know if you need to leave. But I wanted to ask you about the Sanchez Casal Academy, obviously. And what I found interesting is you had mentioned in one of your talks that I found on the internet that when you mentioned to your friends that you wanted to build an academy in the U.S., they said you were crazy. So I was wondering, you know, how are you able to push past this sort of doubts from the outside and maybe you had doubts within you how are you able to just push past it and then go forward and build a, a successful academy well the talks are talks you know look what it counts is the fact you know and so so right. um the reality is that when you have like a place like in spain that is doing well and so that you decide to do another place and to go to the U.S. where is all the academies, the best academies in the world, and you go to fight there, is that you are a bit crazy anyway, because it's what you want to do there, no? So, but um, for me, it was a personal challenge. I think for me, it was was a moment that that um, I needed to make this step ahead and, and, and prove myself in, in in different ways. And and um, and just, I, I, I'm kind of person that I, I I move forward and I try to if if I make the mistake I make it but but at the end I, I just wanted to prove myself that uh, that it was it was a, a good thing and and uh, and uh, it has been very good for me in health and, and in family and I spend much more time with my kids and so so in many ways it's been amazing and also in in the tennis side as well because in Barcelona I was the, uh, managing and I was not in the court here I, I'm much more in the court and I'm enjoying that a lot and um, and uh, if if I was not making the move here maybe I will not be 
in all these um, conferences and teaching other people. And it's not about teaching the kids and bringing them to to try to make a, a dream, but we also teaching a lot of coaches and making a lot of uh, coaches careers and and, uh, and helping a lot of people and, and and that is something that fulfills me. So so I'm very happy with the decision that I did uh, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, like you said, you made so much impacts on so many thousands of kids and also coaches, giving them uh, you know a way to to live uh, and enjoy themselves and their lives as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, you locations in Naples, Barcelona, China, Atlanta. That's incredible. Uh, we wanted to to ask you what what is your mission state uh, your mission with the academy? Like when you set out to build it, like what in your mind was it that you wanted to accomplish? Well, for me, it was was. Uh, to put together the, the two most important things. So the first one was the tennis. So so I wanted to give opportunities through tennis, eh, but the way to do it f- for me was through education. Eh, because in, in my time in Spain, you either had to decide or to play or to study. So so for me, that was a shock because many of the kids at my, at my age, they quit the studies, but they didn't make it. So... I, I don't think you have to make such a drastic decision if you are able to develop yourself as a student, but also as a tennis player at the same time. So when I was traveling the world and I see the opportunities here in the U.S. with kids that they were able to combine both things, I said, this is not happening. So that's when we started in Spain and uh, 20 years ago in Barcelona, and we did make so many great players to the tour, but we even make many more towards the, the college pathway in the U.S. And, and today they have incredible jobs and careers and so on and so thanks to tennis. Because tennis is a big demand sport, but, but it's very tough because very few, they make it. So what I wanted is that everybody who make this effort of playing so many hours and creating so many habits, they, they, they use the, this sport to have an opportunity in life as a tennis player and, and, and I always tell this is there is this article in the New York Times that there is a, from the top 1,000 traders in the in the Wall Street there is 500 tennis players why because the the way that they play the way that they lose points probably in trading they make them maybe they lose a bit but they buy they they sell they they stay they they fight longer and then they make them better and so one of my the juniors that played has a hedge fund that um, that is done so well because of, of the tennis part. And I think tennis is an amazing vehicle for you to do well in life. Yeah, yeah, so many life lessons. And I, I feel like you should be getting free uh, training advice, you know, the stock trading and all that from your students, you know. Uh, for all the help you've given them. Um, Emilio, uh, I just want to educate the audience if they're interested in your programs too, you know, like what types of programs do you have and what age groups? Yeah, well, in in, in, my, in my academies, we, we start from the really the bottom of the pyramids because we are clubs. So, so anybody who lives in the city, in the area, they can jump in and they can come with an after-school program and they can do... Uh, the normal one or two days a week or lessons or something. That's that, that's the, the, the bottom of the pyramid, no? And then uh, in Barcelona, we do elementary school, uh, middle and high school. So you go from six years old to 12 to, to 18 years old. You can do any any year. You can combine the studies with the, with the tennis. In the U.S., we do middle and high school. So you can start here and uh, study with us when you are 11 years old until 18 as well. Um, that's for the year programs. Okay, we do after school and academy uh, for all the year. Uh, apart from that, we do any any type of program like weeklies, pre-seasons, pro 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 series, everything related to any player that needs any kind of service uh, that for short time, let's say weeks, months, or whatever it is. And then in summer, we do summer summer programs. So the people, that's where the people get to know us. They try it and then they get excited to then come for the year and, and practice more more often with us. And that we do in all the centers as well. So, and um, and apart from that, we do, we do have programs for adults. We do tournaments. We have programs for coaches. We, we do everything that related to tennis. Anybody who is involved with the sport and wants to improve we probably have a program for for them and and uh, like in any place you know like 
the, the thing with the clubs is that you need to do so many things to have the course full all day, which is difficult because these colleagues, these, these people play in the morning, these people play in the afternoon. So you have to have always the, the course full. And that's when the, when the club is moving, moving along forward. So, so we, we do about almost everything, everything in the, in the tennis market. Awesome. Love it. And where uh, can we follow you or uh, the Academy, you know, like website wise, and we'll post it on the show notes page or website or social media, anything? Okay, so um, we have a website that has the four sites is sanchez-casal.com. Um, if they want to go to to one of the websites, particularly, for example, the US is asc-florida.com. Um, if they want to follow, like I have uh, my own, my own, um, uh, like social media page. Yeah. Fun foundation. So it's oh. Emilio Sanchez Vicario, um, dot org, O-O-O-R-G. So, but if, if normally the, the websites are, are, are all connected and uh, we are in Facebook with the academies or, uh, we are in, I do a lot of Twitter and LinkedIn as well. So. If they put my name, they can they can follow. And we we put we have a very nice in, inside the website. We have a very nice blog where we put a lot of articles. Uh, I have a blog also in LinkedIn, so I, I, they they can find us in a lot of places if they want to read things about tennis and articles about different situations. And uh, I'm sure they will they will they will like it. So so I hope that they can follow us. Fantastic. And I'll post all those uh, links for sure. Uh, Emilio, I always close with this question uh, and you've given us a lot of great advice today, but what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them improve their tennis games? Wow. Tennis is, is, um, <laughs> is so difficult, but um, as I said before, tennis is a, is, is a habit. Okay. So whatever they want to improve, uh, that make the step out, come out from the comfort zone and practice it and practice it and practice it because it's going to come. Okay? They just have to be the, have the patience of stepping out of the comfort zone continuously to be able to look for the goal. And tennis is going to pay back. Yeah? And then when they do that and they do it well, they have to re-study again and redo it to find something else. So if you have that mentality, you're going to become a great tennis player eh? to always, eh, when you have something already in your pocket and, and you have it, you do it well, go out and find something else. Because if Nadal and Federer and Djokovic, they keep improving, how much the rest of the world <laughs> we can improve? We will have their mindset. That's right. Keep adding to the toolkit. Well, uh, Emilia, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for a great career and also impacting so many with your uh, academies. And uh, I really appreciate your time today. So thanks so much for speaking with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much to you for the time. Thank you. All right. I really hope you enjoyed my interview with Emilio Sanchez. Thanks again to Emilio for coming on to the show. And also thank you to Daniel from the Sanchez Casal Academy for helping set up this interview as well. I really appreciate that. And I would also really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that on the podcast app that you use to listen to the show. There's a subscribe button out there somewhere on one of those apps or all of them. And uh, especially on Apple Podcasts, which I think is the app that's used by most of you. That would be very helpful for you to get all the episodes instantly streamed or downloaded to your device of your choice that you use to listen. And it would also uh, help the podcast rank higher and therefore be seen by more people in the searches and whatnot. And I also want to let you know, of course, that all of the links mentioned on the show will be on the show notes page, which is at tennisfiles.com slash 129 for the number of the episode. And you can find the show notes for any episode by just putting in the number of the episode after tennisfiles.com and then slash. All right. Well, I also want to leave you with a quote as I often do at the end of the show. And this quote is by Unknown. I wasn't able to find the author of this one. If you know who said this and let me know but the quote is it never gets easier you just get better love that quote there and as Emilio said it's really important to become more aggressive in your game uh, especially 
if you want to progress further down the ranks, uh, you want to, to always be, as much as you can, be moving forward and trying to set up the point so that you can finish it. And don't just wait for the ball. Go out there and hit it aggressively and, uh, and employ you know, optimal strategies according to your strengths and, and, and perhaps weaknesses in your game. And that's the way that you're going to be very successful. And also to commit, you know, say you listen to this episode and you find out some, uh, some helpful points, which I hope you do. And the first step is to commit to improving that aspect of your game. And once you commit, there's no going back. Go forward, work on that, and let me know how it goes. So really appreciate you listening to the podcast. I just hope that you, like I mentioned listen through all these episodes and take points that you find to be helpful or uh, interesting or illuminating and try them out and, uh, and and hopefully they'll really help your game out. So really enjoyed this episode, this interview with Emilio and many more uh, helpful ones to come that I'm really excited and I'm looking forward to. And also best, best wishes to Australia with the uh, just the crazy fires going out there. I hope that everybody's safe and okay. And also, I heard about a, a volcano uh, erupting recently in the Philippines. I hope everyone is safe and okay there. And yeah, I mean, just just stay safe. Be grateful for what you have. I think that really helps us all just feel better and, and perform better. Just to be grateful for our friends and family and that we get to play the wonderful game of tennis and that we got to watch awesome tournaments like the ATP cup and WTA tennis tournaments and all that. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Australian open. That's, that's, uh, coming down the pike. So if you got a favorite for the Australian open, please let me know. Uh, also you might want to check out my Instagram page, my handle, uh, AKA my, uh, name on there. Some, I say handle. I don't know if that's like a different term for it. Well, that's probably why I said it. Um, but it is at tennis underscore files. So check that account out. And I have a lot of, I think, really helpful posts on there to help you improve your game and some, uh, some video audio on there as well. So once again, thanks a lot for all your support. And I'm working pretty hard in the planning stages of Tennis Summit 2020, which is hard to believe it's going to be the fourth year of this event, but uh, yeah, just planning it out. A lot of things that you all have told me based on what I asked, you know, when I asked for feedback about the one from last year, and I've got big plans to improve it even more. So really excited about a lot of things coming down the pike, and I will keep you updated. So all the best, and continue to have a great new year, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirabon signing out. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.